everyone. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candida Fink. And this is Mental Health Goes to School, where a teacher and a psychiatrist walk into a podcast. You hear a lot about teen mental health and how students struggle at school. But accurate and useful information is hard to find. Over the years, Candida and I have had many conversations and learned from each other's experiences. We realize that we need more people in such a critical conversation. Join us as we talk to and learn from educators, mental health professionals, and parents with a wide range of experiences and expertise. Hi to everyone and welcome to Mental Health Goes to School. I'm Candida. And I'm Joanne. And we're talking today with Damien Travier, uh, the uh, executive director, am I correct, of the Access Psychology Foundation. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your foundation does? Yeah, first I want to thank you, Candida and Joanne, for inviting me to join you all this evening. Um, I always um, welcome the opportunity to talk about the work we're doing at the Access Psychology Foundation and the importance of, of equity in the mental health space. But um, at Access Psychology, what we do is we focus on um, equitizing access to mental health, both from a treatment standpoint and from a training perspective as well. What we believe is that there is a, um, ins there's insufficient access to resources for people of color, people from marginalized populations, people from underserved and under-resourced uh, communities. And we try to attack that issue from a number of perspectives. Again, both from the treatment side and from the training side. Got it, okay. Well, I think that is, uh, you know, our goal here is talking about um, mental health it, at school. And I know a, a huge component of that, of course, uh, we have to be addressing equity um, and access in that space. Um, and I know that the foundation, um, part of one of the ways that you're bringing or working to bring care uh, is uh, to underserved communities, marginalized communities, is by being in schools. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. We have, Candida, five distinct programs that we deliver at the Access Psychology Foundation, or I say we, should, we offer at the Access Psychology Foundation. They're all grant or scholarship programs, so individuals or institutions would apply for funding from Access Psychology Foundation, we provide the funding for the training or for the treatment. And there's five programs, and I'll get to and to answer your questions, but I'll... Yeah. So we have an individual treatment scholarship. So individuals and families, um, uh, uh, people of color, are able to apply for funding for individual counseling, individual therapy. And if they get a scholarship from us, we pay uh, for up to 90% of the cost of therapy. So if they're seeing a therapist or want to see a therapist um, and it's $300 an hour, they will be responsible for $30 and we will cover the rest of the cost. Wow. In addition to that, we support the individual through any kind of additional supports they may need. So if they, if the therapist thinks that they should have, um, if it's a child and their parents should be brought into the counseling, so they want parent counseling okay. or if there's group therapy that think is is, is important for uh, the, the client, we, we will cover those additional treatments as 
well. Um, and again, these these scholarships are for um, people of color, people uh, or people from um, under resourced, underrepresented populations. And mm-hmm. um, these are folks who typically would not um, have access to these to this kind of uh, therapy. In fact, most of these folks will be first time uh, folks who are are entering into sort of the, a mental health relationship formally. Uh, the second program I'll talk about is um, our internship programs. So we have, um, again, in our effort to diversify the mental health workforce, um, Joanne, we have a scholarship for emerging clinicians. So if you are at the graduate school level, you are, um, you know, uh, at the postgraduate, postdoctoral fellowship level, you are at the psychological or our psychological intern or externship level, we offer a grant for individuals who are sort of wow. at that stage of academics for their postdoctoral internship or externship experience. So uh-huh. if you are in school and you're looking for a postdoctoral fellowship experience, and let's say you're from Tennessee and, and the, the real experience you want in DBT is in uh, California or right. New York. Right. And might be cost prohibitive to you. You can apply for a grant from from Access Psychology Foundation, and we provide you up to ten thousand dollars, just to wow. help with the to help mitigate any financial costs or troubles. We have um, in the last year supported four postdoctoral fellows, and they're all coming from different parts of the country. And they all say that they would not have been able to take the opportunity here yeah. in the New York area if not for uh, the grant that they received from the Access Psychology Foundation. Again, it could cover the cost of your travel, or cover the cost of rent for a number of months or, you know, whatever, to supplement the cost of salaries. Because as you all know, as many of us know, um, who'll be listening, that um, postdoctoral fellows or psych interns don't get paid very well. Um, So they do not. (laughs) (laughs) of, Of a little injection of capital could really make a difference for folks and their experiences. Right. Um, so that's our second program. We also Got have a, um, a scholarship for um, uh, existing clinicians, licensed mental health professionals. Um, as you all know very well, um, in order to get CE credits to maintain your licensure or to maintain, you know, what's happening in the space, um, you need to take workshops and these kind of um, these training workshops. So we offer scholarships for individuals looking for intensive training right. um, in CBT or in DBT. So we we partner with a firm called the Cognitive, a practice called the Cognitive and Behavior Consultants out of White Plains and New York. Yeah. Um, and they offer these really specialized trainings in CBT uh, and in DBT. And we offer scholarships for those trainings so individuals can take those, um, again, without a lot of financial strain. Mm-hmm. Um, and one more program I mentioned before we talk about our work with schools is our undergraduate and high school internship program. So we want to make sure that we are supporting the next generation of mental health professionals, right? If you are a school junior and you want to be a psychologist or you want to be a social worker or a school psych, maybe you don't know how to go about it. So right. you can come to APF and you can have a summer internship. Um, we have uh, two college students with us right now. Um, they are sophomore psych majors. Um, One is at Columbia University and one is at St. John's. And um, they are spending the summer with us. They are shadowing psychologists. They are sitting in in supervision meetings. They are doing work with with a with group and group and group therapy sessions. They're helping support um, some of the work there. They're doing research. So again, it's just to encourage young people of color who might be interested in this field um, um, who may not have access to uh, mentorship or may not have access to right. opportunities to grow uh, in the space. 
We're really excited to have our first two interns this summer with us, and they're doing an amazing job. In fact, they're doing a presentation for us and the leadership of um, the Cognitive and Behavior Consultant uh, practice um, next week on some issues around access for, for marginalized populations. Terrific. Um, that's just great at every level, right? Starting undergrad in training established. I mean, that's just, you need it at every level. That's fabulous. We want to make sure that we're supporting the pipeline. Again, if we yeah. are, we're going to talk about diversifying the, the workforce, the mental health workforce, sure. we sure. got to start and support them all the way through. It yeah. can't, finding existing clinicians of color and just, you know, making sure they're supported. We have to do that as well. But we have to make sure that we're supporting people who are even interested in this space yeah. and helping them find a path um, to becoming right. licensed professionals. Yeah. Yeah. How do they get, because if they're not, if they've not had a lot of exposure or there aren't those people that look, look like them in these spaces and they just don't know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, you know, what a, a wonderful right, opportunity. Right. Well, and just the opportunity to, have a view and, and I mean, some of them might decide, no, thank you, but um, they're that much more informed as perhaps consumers right. or, or family members need some direction. They'll know that much more about that, it. You hit it right on the head there. I think one of the things around exposure is understanding what you don't like or what you're maybe not as good at as you thought, or maybe understanding what the whole space looks yeah. like. The worst thing we want to do is have somebody go through all these through these academics and spend all this money on tuitions and get to, you know, their, you know, internship level at the graduate school level and say, you know, right. this isn't free. And I've already committed all these hundreds of thousands of dollars and all this right. course of study. Um, and then maybe they pivot to something else. So we want to make sure that they understand what's, what's this, what's involved, what's involved um, yeah. right from the very beginning. So that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And then the last thing is, and, 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 and Kenita, you referenced this earlier, is our work with schools and organizations. And I think yeah. it's one of our, I think it's our unique, it's our, it's our differentiator in terms of what we offer. As mm -hmm. uh, schools, institutions, and organizations can apply for a grant from APF. And um, that grant will pay for training of their staff okay. in CBT or DBT interventions, mental yeah. health uh, pre prevention solutions, resources, um, even social emotional learning curriculum. So we have a number of different sort of offerings that we, right. that a school can sort of look through, if you will, a menu item of things that a school can okay. look through, if you will, for, from a training perspective. And what we do is very unique, I believe. So if a school, let's say, is looking for a universal DBT training to help support their school community, um, they apply for this grant, they receive the grant, and they will receive um, a uh, sort of like a first aid, a psychological first aid, just kind of a mm -hmm. what's going on in your institution, wh what are some of the touch points and inflection points that we need to be focused on. Then there is a five-day training that they receive. Um, and, what's, and one thing I want to mention, I think it's very, very important, is the training is um, we like it to be woven into um, – the existing schedule for the for the, the the teachers and the staff. What we don't want to do is add a new burden onto uh, to that's staff. huge, yeah, right. Um, so we want to make sure that there is protected time. So we talk to leadership if it's a superintendent of a district or the principal of a high school. Um, um, we want to make sure that there's buy-in from leadership so that we are weaving into some protected time and not adding on. Um, and we do this five-day training uh, that we believe is really special. But I think what is the most special thing about what we do is then we have a two-year ongoing relationship with the school so that we can provide ongoing consultation. 
And that ongoing consultation helps schools implement <clears throat> the training to fidelity, help um, work through unique or acute situations that they might be going through that the generalized training that might not have addressed. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a student or a family or a, a whatever it may be, a classroom group that is really struggling and we uh -huh. can help work them through that particular situation or issue. Maybe wow. there's new staff that needs to be onboarded and inculcated into this training and we can help with that to do our ongoing, our bi-weekly or bi-monthly uh, consultations that exist for that go on for two years. And we believe that that really um, makes a difference. It's not a sort of you know, wham, bam, thank you, man. We come in, drop in this training with right. all these graphics and slides and, and language, and then we disappear. Right. Uh, we're there <laughs> to help you implement and to help you work through any issues and to say, hey, you were talking about emotion regulation. Can we talk about that some more? Right. Um, I'm dealing with this in my in my in my health class. And I'd love to figure out how to, to best sort of set, set this class up so that we can practice some of the DBT lessons that we learned during the training. And we think that makes a really a big difference. And I think you both know that going into schools in particular have a, a, have a unique multiplier effect. When you're working with st students um, and you're working with teachers and staff, that then reverberates throughout the community. You know, it, it, it cascades into the right. family. Thing, right. Um, right. When you're family, when you're bringing in um, the school community, the teachers themselves are able to adapt some of that training into their own lives and how they, and they, and how they operate and not just how they deliver it to their students. Um, yes. That just grows the effect. I love the fact that we that an individual can apply for a scholarship and find a counselor. And we're changing the, the life of that one individual. But when we're going to schools, right. we're the lives of hundreds of, 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 of young people um, in one shot. And I think that's really powerful. And in addition to schools, we work with organizations uh, as well. I have a, um, we've give, given a large grant to the Boys and Girls Club in Northern Western. Oh, right? oh really? Wow. So they have, their staff is being trained in CBT, in comprehensive CBT. Um, and um, what they're doing, which I think is really excellent, is that it's not just saved for the, um, the counseling staff, right? Who right. they, they have their summer camp counselors taking the training. They have their swim school instructors taking the training. They oh, have some, wow. That's fabulous. They have some of their administrators taking the training. Anybody who sort of front faces and engages with families For sure. taking the training, which of course just benefits the entire Boys and Girls Club population, right? Right. So, yeah. so we're working with the Ossining Union Free School mm -hmm. District now working okay. with the boys and girls club of northern westchester working with two schools in harlem the mott hall high school in mm -hmm. harlem and esperanza prep high school in Har harlem doing okay. emotional learning sel curriculum with those two schools we have partnerships with institutions outside of the state with the michigan department of health and human services wow uh, so we are really just trying to um you know um you know, build these relationships and these partnerships with institutions and schools that are serving, you know, diverse populations and under-resourced communities. That, I mean, that's re remarkable in the sense, I think that your point of, you know, when you go into a school, you're, you're providing something for the whole community, the community right. and the ripple effects will be powerful, um, I think. And um, so you're, you're just making, and, you know, then hopefully then it creates something sort of that will follow through the next generation and the next generation. Right. That's right. That's so, right. Well, and I think the other important thing is the ongoing relationship. Uh, yeah. 
that you maintain because um, I know I have done any number of professional trainings and at the end I'm like, so now what do I do? I've learned these skills. That was very cool. And I would like to try it, but I don't understand how that's going to work for me. And I think this um, is much more likely to be successful having this um, ongoing relationship. To be able to help them provide like the materials that they use in the classroom, yes. the manuals that they might use in the classroom right. through particular, I mean, it's really incredible. And, and the other piece that um, I think you all know very well is that it's not just um, the fact that we're supporting these school communities and these communities at large. It's that, you know, school, uh, uh, school psychs and school counselors have become sort of our de facto frontline so mental professionals for Entire generation of students, right? Absolutely, uh, so true. In these communities that are, you know, right. under-resourced and, and marginalized because right. they don't have resources to go get a counselor for their student, for their child who is suffering from anxiety, Correct. or their child who is um, struggling to, to to with focus, um, right? So they don't have the funds or even the wherewithal, or might there might be a stigma to go in to see a psychologist. So many who, layers. Right. Where the school psychologist, or they 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 talk to the their teacher, right? And 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 teachers in school psychs are essentially the front line for our children. And when they are better prepared and better supported, our children do better. Yes, our do better, and our country does better. I mean, there is a a through line through all of this, and that's not romantic Clear. talk. That is the no. facts of the matter, right? A hundred percent. Data that you can attribute to those data research supports that without question. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think the number is around thirteen hundred. Every school sites are represent are responsible on average thirteen hundred students. Yeah. right. That's and just untenable. Untenable. Right? Untenable. You know, when you go to well-to-do uh, communities or schools that are well-funded, that number might go down to 300 or 400. Right. Um, you're going to schools in the South Bronx or in rural Alabama that number is ridiculous. And, right. um, and then not just the number, but the, what they're asking of those of those professionals, those mental health professionals, right? They're asking right. everything. How do I do, right. how do I help my kid with their anxiety? Um, you know, how do we uh, ensure that they are having good relationships with their brothers and sisters, right? right. How, right. Do they, how do they regulate their emotions? You know, how do they not act out? Um, so, it is, uh, I think it's extremely powerful, the work we're doing with schools. Yes. That is the thing that's going to really sort of have the biggest impact from the work we're doing on access psychology. Yeah, right at the center of the space. That the reason Joanne and I even you know wanted to do this podcast, because we feel strongly that that work in the school space is so essential uh, and that the training is for everyone. I love what you were talking about, the Boys and Girls Club, too, that it's not just the clinical staff, the clinicians, it's the teachers, it's um, the the swim instructor, you know, it's anyone who has, anyone in the building who has contact with a child. Um, and I think changing the language, changing the conversation, it, 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 it touches on all the things you said. It helps to reduce stigma because it just becomes part of everyday life. Oh yeah, we're doing this meeting. Oh yeah, we talk about that. But that follow through is so important because I think for especially non-clinicians, it can feel very uncomfortable. It's like, you want me to do what? <laughs> you want to tell them to, to breathe? You want me to tell yeah. them to put their face in cold water? What? <laughs> right? <laughs> or I have to, you know, let them leave class when they ask. I, can't, I don't have to make them stay. Like those... 
kinds of things, it, it that's those are new skills for the teachers. Those are new skills for the staff. And to have the support to practice, just like we want, kids are going to practice the skills and come to the therapist. Those providing the, the skill training need that support and practice. So it's really covering so much of what's going to much more likely to make something like this really work and make that impact you know, yeah. in, in communities that are so underserved um, and in such need. Yeah. Really. And of high fidelity. I think that's the other thing, too, the, the high quality, the evidence based care. Right. right. I think that's the, that's right. one thing that I didn't you know, may sort of make a distinction about earlier on. You know, anything that we do, any partnerships that we have with, you know, um, um, uh, firms, uh, excuse me, uh, practices or counselors that we will send our scholarship recipients to, they must practice evidence based mental health, evidence based CBT or DBT. We believe that that is a discipline, a modality that is particularly useful for individuals coming from the communities that we're supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a distinction that I, that thank you for saying that, that I think is important to make that, you know, anything yes. we do will be based around evidence-based um, therapies um, for our, our, our clients. And you also touched on something that I want to mention as well, is that, you know, the, um, particularly uh, as it relates to uh, marginalized populations, communities of color, the idea that this becomes regular conversation, that this this idea of uh, finding mental health support to be in counsel, to to, to addressing your mental health, in addition to every other kind of, you know, your your financial health, your physical health, right? Um, We all know that there's been a stigma in all kinds of populations and communities, whether it's the black community, the Asian community, the Hispanic community. There are these very large stigmas where parents or the the earlier generations would say, you know, you present them with your troubles and they say, go pray on it or have no business having problems. Do you know what we came from? You know, or go to church on Sunday and we'll think about that. Or, you know, you know, we don't have time. We need to get back to work. We don't have time. And we all know these things. Right. So this is a unique time. And I think in our life, in our society, where this is becoming more kitchen table conversation, right, Right. where the conversation is being had more readily and more comfortably by people in the media, by folks like you with podcasts like this, um, where um, uh, young people from these populations may not have the same troubles that I had and my parents and my grandparents had addressing mental health situations and issues, right? And when your teacher, when you walk into a classroom or you walk into the Boys and Girls Club and the bus driver or your swim school instructor is talking about, you know, mental health practices or or instituting a practice without you even knowing, right? right? Right. Um, building um, building it in, right? Just, well, I was going to say the bus driver probably isn't going to say, we're going to do some mental health things now. <laughs> but the bus driver might say, you know what? You need to just sit and take a breath for a minute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of thing if a kid's having trouble That's, on the bus. That's right. And there's one more notion to that as well. Again, this, 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 this sort of cascades in a positive way in so many directions. What happens a lot with young people of color is that when they have emotion dysregulation at school, um, they're sent directly to the principal. They're disciplined. They're disciplined at a rate much more um, uh, at a much higher volume and a much more disciplinary rate than uh, right. white children. Their white That's counterparts. Absolutely. And when a teacher or a counselor can address an issue around dysregulation with a young student of color in the moment, yes. instead of picking it up to the principal or disciplinarian, we might save that child. 
um, a whole lot of trauma or, right. or, or save or, yeah. or, or keep them from walking down the pathway of, of disciplinary action that could, uh, could affect their future. Um, so the benefits to this kind of work are, are multitudinous. Yeah, absolutely. I just put it on a commercial. Oh, that's a good word. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And it really applies here though, the the, the, the idea of multitudes. Well, and the and the other thing too is the labeling of it, which um we know yes. once once a a young student is labeled as a troublemaker or a kid who acts out, it's hard to get rid of it. It stays with them. Yeah. That's the school to prison pipeline, unfortunately. Right, That's exactly, exactly. Exact, and it starts as early as preschool. I mean, there, you know, research of getting assessments of kids showing the exact same behaviors and a child, you know, a black child or a white child, exact identical behaviors, ages, one is seen as a conduct problem and one is seen as having an emotional problem or struggling, right? Given the benefit right. of the doubt. And right. it's, and, and I've seen it in my practice when I've had, um, people fill out forms. The only time I've seen high levels of negative ratings, like you get, you know, you assess as someone thinking overly negatively about this child has sure. been um, children of color. So, I, I, you know, I think that is it's the multitudinous great word. So I love that really word. huge, yeah. <laughs> really I, the difference that hopefully that, you know, really, really need that to make <laughs> and to change that. Um, yeah. So um, now is there interface? I mean, you've got your, the prongs. I mean, there's so much you're doing here. There's so much work you're doing, which is incredible. The, the um, scholarships and the training, is there ever overlap between the training and the school program? Like, is that something bringing the trainees into the schools to, to sort of be part of that at all? Yeah. So, you know, the idea is that, you know, we're diversifying the workforce, right? Huge. So uh, we are producing or helping produce clinicians that have cultural competency and wow. they have, um, you know, they're anti-bias and they have the the right kind of training to address the populations that we're serving. So um, when we do have postdoctoral fellows or psychological interns or externs right. uh, with us uh, for over a given year, it is a, a requirement that they do some of the work that we do in the school setting. Okay. So. And I don't like the word requirement because it might say that we are forcing it upon them, but you better believe that all of them are looking forward For to sure. going into these school settings and doing this kind of training. So the answer to your question is absolutely yes. Yeah, um, that's correct. So, uh, and we want to have a problem where we don't have enough postdoctoral fellows to support the number of schools they're doing, or we have too many schools. We have so many postdoctoral fellows that we need more schools. So we're, we're, we're looking for that imbalance because right. that means Something's working on one of those prongs, right? It's growing, okay. growing, growing, right? That's what you want. So when um, schools apply for your program, what what are you looking for for in a successful um, applicant, as it were? Thank you, for that. Thank you for the question. Great question. So we're looking for, you know, primarily a school or institution has to serve a diverse population. That's a that's first and foremost. Right. And if the population is not necessarily diverse or it is diverse, we're looking for uh, a population that has socioeconomic challenges. Right. right? So the community mm -hmm. at large that the, that the organization, the school, the institution supports or operates out of, you know, is from mm -hmm. a, a low income or socioeconomically challenged uh, community. That's something else that something we also look for. And we're looking for, I think, schools that 
traditionally would not have access to this kind of support. Maybe they don't have the funding or access to the funding that some other schools would, or even some schools that are in diverse populations have access to state funding or, you know, right. but some schools just don't have the leadership or the wherewithal to, to get that or the grant writing or the relationships. So we want to make, we want to support schools that again, might not have the access if not uh, for this relationship. Right. So organizations or schools, districts, or that are looking for this, but are otherwise, you know, and are clearly serving underserved communities and are really trying to break something, break a cycle or break in a sort of wall of things that have prevented them from, from getting more of this or creating this at all. Exactly. Exactly. And in fact, sometimes what it is, is that these schools or institutions have received some kind of mental health training or support and they get to the point where there's a school psychologist or a professional in their institution or in their purview that that recommends uh, evidence-based CBT or DBT as a way to really address the unique issues of their school or, or of their community. And they might seek us out. So it may not be just, um, again, it doesn't have to be all three of those 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 sort of um, characteristics. It could be just one of them. Right. Um, but um, uh, it could be where they are they do have the wherewithal to have school psychologists who are really on it and trying to help their community and looking for the right thing. And they believe that evidence-based CBT and DBT are, are the right thing. So that might bring them to us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a number of ways, you know, with Austin, they didn't have the funding. So they, they didn't have the funding and they realized that this was the kind of support that they thought would be effective for their population. So they had two of those three things. Right. So you find schools and relationships that depending on, on where they're coming from, and we take it on a case by case basis. That's tremendous. I mean, really, what opportunities you're you're providing. If uh, an administrator, an educator is listening and thinking, I'd like to know more about it, you know, do they, how would they just go to your website and find out about it? A couple of things. One, definitely go to my website. It's the www.access-psychology.org. Um, they can also just shoot an email to me. I'll give you my email and that's dtravier at access-psychology.org. That's D-T-R-A-V as in Victor, I-E-R at access-psychology.org. And there's also info at access-psychology.org that uh, some people on the team are always looking looking at as well. Um, so the number of ways to get to us and we welcome all relationships and, and conversations. And sometimes it's just starting out with a conversation and we may right. not do anything for a while. And sometimes it's like we get right to it. You know, right. so right depends on what what's happening. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you and the SEL piece also. You brought that up. So and that's also that's in. How does that sort of connect? Is that DBT sort of influenced? Sort of what's that? Great question. Great question. That's a new sort of uh, aspect to our program. Previously, the funding that we would do to schools would support the CBT and DBT training, mm-hmm. and now have these relationships with the schools in Harlem, uh, Mott Hall High School, Esperanza Prep High School, where what they're doing, starting at the ninth grade level and implementing this SEL curriculum, and we will carry it through that particular class, you know, that ninth grade student body for four years, and we'll collect a lot of data, and we're going to see, you know, really what is working and what's not working. But what we're doing, which is great, is again, not trying to add a new burden to these schools, we're, we're weaving in the SEL curriculum into one class that all the students in the ninth grade are taking. And in the instance of my hall, for instance, it's 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 a health class, okay. right? So every ninth grader is going to be taking health. 
um, or some kind of health version of a health class from right. ninth grade to twelfth grade, and going to be weaving in the SEL curriculum in that in that one class. Okay. Right? In, in addition to that, what we're doing is we're then having a breakout sort of a working group session with the teachers, health class teachers, to again sort of a version of our ongoing consultation where we're saying what's how's it going okay. it's working let's talk through some things you know um so it's it's sort of a new program for us i think it's i'm really excited about it yeah. again moving into a a, a a existing class and then providing additional support to the practitioners in this case the teachers uh, along the way collecting a lot of data that we'll be mm-hmm. able to use to uh, uh supplement to pivot to make things better right um, and to figure out what we need to do in order to better serve that school community. Right. And I'm sure that data that you get will just be so valuable for, I mean, not only that school, but many other schools. Um, I don't know the size of it, but it's probably a, a good sized population that you can say, here. here's a solid bunch of data, which will do nothing but, I hope, help spread the word in general that this is, and many, many states and schools have uh, health as part of ninth grade anyway. Exactly. So Bullseye again, because it's almost as if, to be honest with you, not to be selfish, we're getting as much as not more out of this than, than the community, the school, the teachers and the students might, you know, the data that we're going to collect and the way that we're going to be able to use it to serve more, more. untold amount of people through our program. Right. Is as valuable as uh, you know. We hope that the, what they're going to get from the training and from the implementation of the curriculum. So you're absolutely right. We've, be, we've even gone through the the lengths of making sure that we have the students and the teachers sign because they know that we're going to be collecting this data to right. sign on it. Um, because this is going to be very important for us for sure. Absolutely, yeah. that preventive component of the SEL story of sort of helping the universal sort of intervention uh, level is one of the major prongs of how we, you know, are addressing mental health and how schools are part of healing the mental health, you know, story. And particularly, of course, in your case, working with underserved, marginalized communities that are, you know at even higher rates of increased mental illness um, and struggling at, at such levels. And to be, pr- to be collecting data in a setting specific to kids in uh, that kind of community, because so much of the other data is collected and studies are done um, that aren't including those kids uh, in any sort of cohesive way. So it's right. at, 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 at so many levels, you're just breaking new ground there and um going to be you know really so valuable at at ripples again right right yeah yeah to have this kind of opportunity to with my hall it's a it's a heavy african African african-american um uh, student population and esperanza prep is heavily uh, a latinx or hispanic population um and they're coming from this you know socioeconomic environment that's very unique you know the harlem community and i think it's just going to be you know uh you know very, very rich in data for us. And I hope uh, rich in the fact that we're able to provide a unique approach that they may not have, that they may not have used before right. um, to serve their kids. And, and I'm excited about that. We start, we did a kickoff a couple of weeks ago. We started our official five-day trainings okay. um, in August. And then we will be in, in the in the classroom when the kids come back in September. That's amazing. Nice. I mean, that's really yeah. amazing. I mean, and it's brand new, really. You guys are just getting started. 
the idea of how that's going to touch even more kids, right? Because that's, you know, the other programs are kids who are at risk or identified sort of second tier or third tier. This is, you know, first tier, or I don't know how they count the tiers. So general education, every kid in the building. And isn't that what it should be, right? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will say one one of the first things that because I've always been interested in this mental health school connection, I probably said this too many times to Joanne, but um, that when I first learned about DBT many years ago, um, and I said that we need to have this in schools, just like we have phys ed, we need to have emotion ed. <laughs> so I, exactly. I, you guys yeah. are just sort of Absolutely. manifesting <laughs> this, that it, it, it is so critical to be speaking the language, normalizing it, getting the resources, um, teaching people, you know, skills. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, giving giving uh, young people the tools that hopefully they'll bring with them. Right. So their life always just yeah. like just like they've learned all along, you know, you got to get up out of the chair, do some exercise. Right. Right. But you also have to have some of these other skills when bad things happen or when you're feeling overwhelmed or or whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah. And you need to know how to write a paragraph and, you know, <laughs> just do some math that all goes say, in together. I would say this kind of health is the most important because without it, exactly. or disarray, it affects every other kind of health. You know, exactly. write that paragraph if you have high anxiety or you are, you know, very dysregulated, you're not going to be able to, right. you know, do well in school. You're not going to be able exactly. to exercise or try out for that swim team if you are Ugh, have so true. mental health. So I right. say it's the most important of your skill set, and it's the one that we're neglecting the most. Right. Yes, I that's would. been ignored. Yeah. yeah. Someone else, uh, when we did an interview with someone who was sort of, you know, primary focus is SEL, that was sort of the fundamental truth there. You know, scared and angry kids can't learn. They can't participate. And if we're not, you know, focusing on that, and it has been not just not focused on, it's been sort of specifically pushed under the rug. Um, people are, you know, so uh, just huge and really... So it affects the relationships. How do I interact with the guy in my, you know, my on my on my floor in my apartment or the bus driver or a teacher that I think is just picking on me? How do I manage this feeling instead of just snapping out and then now being labeled as you said, Joanne, forever? Yeah. Right. How do I manage it here before it gets out here? You know, exactly. Exactly. So critical. So critical. Just really truly foundational. It's all a part of it. Right. And when the adults in the building are learning too, I think that's, you know, so essential because then they're learning it for themselves. They're bringing it into their lives, into the broader community. Yeah. I think having that sense of a, a mentally, a mental health informed, literate sort of school educational community um, and in in communities where it is at the resources have been so under under provided for i mean it it can change uh you know that's the work that's where the work is which it was as um, as as sort of ubiquitous as like um if you if from a school sort of um example as like gym or pe right exactly. we have this physical fitness expert and we usher every child into them yep. every every hour throughout the school day 
right. to do some physical fitness. How can why can we not do that around right. some mental health? Or should right. every child in front of a mental health expert <laughs> you know, put the knee pads on? With the <laughs> I love it. It's so it's true, awesome though. Right? Why is it not? I you know yeah. it's a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just right. It's not been We're trying to do that at the schools, but doing it at, in the health class instead of yeah you know, in the gymnasium yeah. and just you know introducing right. it at you know a little bit at a time because it comes up. Of course, the teachers and Joanne, you know this. I mean, there's just there's so much they're already being asked to do, and more right. and more, and of course, in communities where there's such limited um, funding for clinicians, don't even have school nurses in many places, or the, that resource is so overwhelmed. I would imagine they're going to be an important resource in some settings in terms of learning and teaching, you know, mental health skills as well. But there, there are plenty of schools, you know, in poor communities that just don't have a school nurse or don't even have a psychologist. And the ones right. that do, and you know, I say I would say all the schools that have school psychologists. They are, it's reactive. They're getting the kids once they're a problem right. uh, emerges, right? right. Not, the, not the not the phys ed teacher where it's <sighs> preventative or it's, yep. or it's just woven into your everyday. It's more of a, um, we, ha- we we see a problem, send them to the school psych. Yeah, not, let's, 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 let's start building some foundational right. skills right. and tools that yeah. you use forever. Teaching these skills just like you teach kids to... Do sit-ups, right? Yep. Like we'll have the president's a mental emotional fitness test. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know how they I don't know what that looks like. That it's sounds loser. ridiculous. But but you know, if we could the point being if we could value it that much, you know, and have that sort of public discussion and conversation, which is I think what your organization is really, you know, working to do and expanding the workforce. It, it there's just no words for how important that is. It, right. Yeah. We're, we're desperate for yeah. more, more people, um, black, Latino, you know, people, indigenous people from all the, every community need to be a part of this, this, you know, expansion of care and awareness and learning and training. They have to be, you know, we have to reach communities, every community. We just provided a scholarship to a really talented young man in rural Georgia. He is LBGTQ, and he, um, oh, in Georgia. you imagine, is in a community that is not supportive of uh, of, of, of folks um, who identify as such. And he has gone through school, and he's now a professional. He has his own practice in rural Georgia for oh. children who have gone through similar experiences as him. So if you are a LGBTQ child in rural Georgia or in the state of Georgia who struggles because their family don't understand or whatever the conditions yeah. of the environment are, he supports them. And he is, he believes that evidence-based DBT, excuse me, CBT is, um, will be useful for his clients. We gave him a scholarship. He did their intensive training a couple of weeks okay. ago. And it's just stories like that, that I think are just, that's this right. Is exactly right. why Access Psychology Foundation exists, right? Right. right. What so, a story. I mean, yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Right. You wrote a very compelling and passionate essay. A part of the application process for your listeners is there is an there's demographic information that we require, of course, but then there's an essay, um, not for our uh, individuals looking for individual counseling. We don't want to, you know, re-traumatize them by having them write about, you know, their issues, but for schools or for 
uh, well, mental health practitioners looking for the scholarships. Um, we asked them to write about, you know, their experiences and, and, mm-hmm. and why they care about, you know, supporting marginalized populations or underrepresented populations. And his essay was just so compelling about the challenges that he went through at mm-hmm. the Game World Georgia um, and what he sees you know, happening now with other young people. And yeah. I'm very moving the work that he's doing down there. And it feels like on an island by himself, you know what I, I mean? would imagine. Um, yeah, that's those kind of things that, you know, really encourage the work that I'm doing. Yeah, right, to see right. the stories, yeah. the, the stories. Right. Yep. yep. For sure. Exactly. Um, did we miss anything? Is there anything we didn't get to that you think is important for us to know about the work you guys are doing? Um, well, I think, think if you don't mind, I no, don't mind at all that we are a nonprofit organization. So everything that we do, everything that I mentioned on, on our on our talk today from the school support, which can be, you know, the grants are up to forty thousand dollars when we go into a school. Wow. You know, that training is not five thousand dollars. It's thirty, forty thousand dollars, twenty five, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars. Um, to the work that we do, um, training the uh, uh, existing clinicians. As I mentioned before, um, we give $5,000 scholarships for these trainings, $2,000 scholarships for the training, $10,000 grants for our postdoctoral fellows and and psychological interns and externs. We do all this, all the generosity of our fundraising. So if there's any of your listeners out there who are compelled to support an organization that is is focused on equitizing access to mental health care, I encourage you to visit our website and, and donate. We take everything from a dollar to a warm note of gratitude, um, or a large gift as well. We welcome right. those. Take the whole, yeah. take, yeah. right? No <laughs> gift is too small or too large, I think. That, that is, so, yeah, that but is absolutely, true. of course, we want people to know about, you know, the amazing work you do and that, you know, this work does cost money. Well-trained, highly trained, um, evidence-based care is expensive. And that's one of the biggest problems we have is how getting enough people trained and getting people access. So uh, supporting your organization, if there are people, you know, who feel, feel they want to do that, certainly want to encourage them. So thank you. I had such a wonderful time talking to you all. I think the work you guys are doing with this podcast is really excellent. Um, Again, it's important to normalize this conversation, to expose um, the uh, population to the world of psychology and mental health supports and right. everything in between. Why did you guys start this uh, endeavor? Where did this come from, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Joe, you want to take that? Sure, sure. So first of all, we met each other on our very first day of college. Wow. Which, um, which was a few years ago. Several years ago, yes. Yeah. And um, we instantly connected as friends. I was also in the pre-med program. Didn't go that direction, but Kitita did, obviously. But we have, I mean, we were roomed together through the four years and then afterwards, and then also just have always stayed friends and have often taught, even though my path has been less direct and I've done a lot of different things, we've always come back to this. There needs to be better healthcare and better education around healthcare and better, and especially once our kids got into school and you see these, it's like, you know, and then then when I, I've only been teaching for 10 years, um, second career, third, whatever, number of (laughs) career. Um, And I do teach at a a therapeutic school. So our conversations have in that time just intensified even more. And then we realize 
when you're trying to find information about mental health, particularly for adolescents and teens, there's just not a lot out there. But at the interest, like what should teachers expect of a child who's struggling? What should a, a therapist expect academically from a child who's struggling? You know, where's that right. intersection? Sure. Yeah. It just felt, I think we both came to realize we were talking about the same kinds of challenges in kids that I was seeing clinically, Joanne was seeing in her classroom, um, and that, it, you know, with the mental health, um, the waves of mental health uh, problems, mental illness, um, that it it seems really important to be talking at the intersection. And there were people having conversations about education and people having conversations about mental health, but really nobody at this space um, in this way. And I, I just, we really felt it was like, it was really, it's needed. We need to be talking and we need all the stakeholders, everyone here, educators, clinicians, administrators at every level, students, if they want to be a part of this conversation, certainly parents, um, just it, it, we had a real energy around it kind of, kind of evolved over the pandemic. We have our monthly college friends, you know, chat, zoom chat. So, uh, and here we are. So I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, always stories, right. But it's like, yeah. it's like how you get yeah. to places and get to things. How did you end up at Access Psychology? Uh, I was at the, um, so I've always worked in, 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 in the equity space, I'd like to say. Mm -hmm. For Access Psychology, I was at the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Oh, wow. It was focused on education equity. Yep. I partnered with corporations um, to support uh, high achieving students of color uh, mm -hmm. in school, in yep. college, and then for their um, early careers. So I would partner oh. with Morgan Stanley or Nike and provide oh. funding to high achieving black or Hispanic students going to Stanford. And then we would help those students get a job at Morgan Stanley or Nike. And so, oh, wow. so wow. anyway, I've always been involved in, in, in education equity previous to this. And, but what I did, what I realized um, and how I got to this particular position was that I was chief program officer. It was my job to support all of the students in the program. And it was thousands of students from over the years who came through our program um, and support their programming to help them become better professionals, become better right. students, academically, all of that. And what I realized after a, a year or two, I was there for 15 years, and before that I was at another academic institution for a number of years, that they were struggling with mental health. Uh, all these high-achieving students of color were really struggling with mental health, and some of them were not sure. able to overcome it, and it kicked them off course. Uh, and one conference that I had, I used to do an annual annual leadership conference uh, in different cities around the country, and we'd bring in thousands of corporations, and we'd have fairs and all these things and different talks and panels. And um, one year I had a panel around recognizing stress. That was the name of the panel, first mm -hmm. year, about 12 years ago. And it it, it was overwhelming the amount of the, the students who uh, we were triggered in during that during that panel who came to us afterwards looking for support wow. who came to us and it was just a almost like a tsunami of 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 people opening up about their mental health struggles so what we did from there was i i began to institute mental health programming and everything that we did i so say it was a, a a visit to silicon valley uh, we would have a mental some mental health portion of the of the of the of the trip would be around around focusing on mental health. Every conference we did, and um, it became the most important thing that we did as an institution is implement this yeah. mental health support. Right. Um, people were 
going to Goldman Sachs and going to Harvard and all these high achieving, you know, black and Hispanic students and Asian students and indigenous students. And they looked like they were the sharpest things in the, you know, in the box, but they were struggling, right? Right. Imposter syndrome, you know, being the only one in their family to go to college and going back. First gen, man, that's so so many issues they were dealing with. And and when we, when we started to have these mental health supports, it changed their lives. And so when um, a search firm came to me about this opportunity to do this more full time and more formally to run an organization that supported uh, people of color and their mental health journey. Yeah. It was a no brainer for me. So it really was an evolution from, yeah. That's right. Exactly right. That's a great word. Yeah. 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 And now hopefully similar students get the tools before they get to that. Because I mean, going to Harvard or Stanford is stressful enough for anybody regardless you know who you are that's right don't with but with the added burdens or or yeah 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 Yeah, it's really interesting how you saw that you know sort of organically at the center of that work with these kids and just organic and that I know that feeling when you do a presentation and people come to you afterwards and you just know you struck a nerve and that you just touched on mental health and it was like oh thank god somebody's talking about it please please help and that sort of to feel that and that you ran with it, um, uh, you know, it really. After that session, we had, I had a young man come out to me. Oh my goodness. He he had just never had the, uh, 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 to sort of these things that he was going through. Right. I mean, there was so many, it was like overwhelming for me. Right. You didn't expect it. You didn't know it was coming. That's right. That's right. We had to make it a central to the yes. work that we did. Yeah, it really yeah. opened that up. So, well, and I think that just adds data to your, um, to the work that you're doing. It's like, well, clearly it's the, they missed that part because right. it wasn't, wasn't being delivered. That's exactly yeah. whatever school they were in. Yeah. And, and the consequences, there they were. There were the consequences of it. So, that's right. Yeah. Right. So, it's trying to prevent that and, and provide more resources and, education and skills, all the good stuff. So thank you so much, Damien. Thank you so much. This was a fabulous conversation. Great. Yeah. And we hope, we hope you'll come back, um, you know, uh, follow up uh, at some point. So um, for our listeners, thank you for being with us and uh, you'll find us wherever podcasts are. If you're listening, I guess you found us, but be sure to hit that like and follow button and uh, tell your friends, Uh, check out our website, mentalhealthgoesschool.com and any resources that Damien mentioned today will be in the show notes. All right. Take care. Thanks, Damien. Thank you. Bye.